I got to drive through Nebraska. I uh, was in Des Moines for board meetings, and I got to drive through Nebraska. I uh, was in Des Moines for board meetings, and got to drive through Nebraska coming home. And uh, we got out of our meetings late afternoon uh, on Friday, and I just set out. I thought, man, I'm going to drive all the way through. I still think like a 20-year-old sometimes, you know what I mean? <laughs> but my body just doesn't function like a 20-year-old. So started getting about evening, and man, I'm dozing off at the wheel and thinking to myself, I ain't even halfway through Nebraska. <laughs> and I uh, thought, I better get Angie on the phone. So I talked to her, and I ended up staying in Kearney, Nebraska, and drove on in the rest of the way. It was, um, it was interesting. I've come into Colorado Springs a number of times. I remember when I first came here, and... Uh, I came from Ohio, I'd, I had uh, gone into uh, basic training, graduated from basic training AIT, went back home, got my vehicle and packed everything up in Ohio and I'm heading to my, my, my duty station which was here at Fort Carson was my first duty station and uh, I'm driving out and I remember all, from I-75 I saw the mountains and I remember people telling me like man the mountains are huge you're going to see them and you know they're right at the base of Colorado Springs and I remember seeing those mountains for the first time and I thought I'm almost there. An hour, <laughs> an hour later, I come driving up to the mountains, you know, and, uh, and so yesterday, I, I, we've driven back many times, and I've, the picture I posted on Facebook, literally, before I got to Lyman, way out from Lyman, it was over 80 miles away, and I see the, the whole mountain range of Pikes Peak and everything, clear as could be, crystal clear, and I thought, wow, what a difference, you know, a clear day makes, amen, and, uh, and I couldn't help but thinking about what I was going to share with you this morning. And uh, I'm going to share on the armor of God. But the importance of clarity in our life, to truly understand, to clearly see that God's ways are higher than our ways, they're better than our ways. And they accomplish a lot more for us than our own effort. Can you say amen? We can accomplish a lot in our efforts, but God's ways will accomplish a whole lot more. So yielding to His ways and following His way. And in this series, we've talked about coming to God with confidence, and I've kept that, uh, that title of the series was there for the, the reason of understanding that everything that flows uh, out of, of our effort, if you will, with God as we pray and we seek Him and we fit ourselves with the armor of God and all of that, we have to understand that it starts with God. It doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. The importance of coming before Him with confidence so that we go out from him not that we're leaving his presence but that we're going out in his presence and we have confidence in all that we do in this life and not only confidence in the things that we do as we pray but but confidence in what God says about uh, putting on his armor Paul the apostle exhorts us with with the this teaching so that we understand how we can stand against the wiles of the devil and having done all to stand, we stand there for. Sometimes, you know, you take a stand and then you don't feel like standing. And he's saying, having done all to stand, we need to stand there for. And so I want to uh, go back to this passage, give you a recap. Some of you weren't here for, for the last couple of weeks, maybe. And give you a little bit of recap on what it is that we've been talking about. So today's message will make sense. Can you say amen? And so the, uh, the scripture we've been reading is out of Ephesians 6. Uh, 10 through 12 and it says finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age 
against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet, or put on uh, your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And he ends that and basically says, this is a charge for you to do these things, to take that stand against the wiles of the devil, having done all to stand, stand therefore, and then put on this armor of God. And he breaks that down, and we'll take a deeper look at that in a few moments. But he breaks that down, and he ends, and then what he says is that, that your prayers, that it's for all the saints. That even after you've uh, put on the armor of God, you're not alone. It's not you standing alone with the armor of God and with God's power, but it's you standing alongside other saints. Anybody that served in the military understands that you could have all the body armor, you could have all the weaponry that you need to have, but you don't go up against an army by yourself. Can anybody say amen in the house? You need others with you to, to take on the enemy and the forces of darkness that exist in this world. Now when I say that, that exist in this world, they exist in this world uh, in many ways that we see them manifest in the natural, but they exist in what, what it says here is the heavenly realms. You've got that wickedness. You've got those, those, uh, those spirits that are they're in that dark place, demons, if you will, that are at work. Now, uh, I want to reflect on what we said last week, that in prayer, we prepare ourselves to be confident in battle. Prayer is the primary, let me say this, prayer is the primary activity for building confidence toward God, but coming out in that confidence, confidence being the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something, firm or trust, synonyms, trust, belief, faith, credence, and conviction, to prepare yourself through prayer so that you can be confident in the battle. And we said that this, it's the, this source, uh, the source of this strength, a person and a provision, that God is the source of that strength, the need for this strength, that we are weak and wrestle with demonic forces. There are demonic forces that we wrestle with. The use of this strength, and that is the, uh, his armor and how we use it. We'll learn a little bit more about that today. But I want to point out this week that to some, Satan is a fictional name created a long time ago to depict evil. That's who Satan is. He just, he's this fictional character that people you know, use this fictional character to, to describe evil. And so... They see it as he's not really real, it's just the, the evil that's around us. No, there is a real uh, person at work, a fallen angel. He's fallen and cast out of heaven. And let me tell you that he lost his purpose. He lost his purpose. See, his purpose was to create worship in heaven, and he wasn't satisfied with that. His pride, his pride caused him to want to exalt himself above the Most High God. See, when you get to that place of pride, what ends up happening is, is the one with the power actually exercises the power and authority that, that's there. And so he's cast out of heaven. And that's what God says to him. In Isaiah 14, you can read the story. And basically, where Isaiah reflects back on what actually happened in heaven. And Satan exalts himself. 
It's not God who exalted him. God had already highly exalted him into this place where he was the cherubim. Say cherubim. He was the angel that covered the throne of God. We're, we're in a place of worship. What happens we're, when we press into God and we love on God in worship, the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. We took his place to worship the living God. That's why he hates us. We replaced him. Now, how many of you ever had a job that you took over and you replaced somebody? Did they like you a lot? Why? It's like you're the one that ran them out, right? You're the one that pushed them out of that place. Normally, their uh, performance pushed them out of that place, right? Satan's performance, Lucifer's performance pushed him out of his place. His pride and his arrogance and thinking himself more highly than he ought pushed him out of that place, and we got to take his place. Now in that, he's kicked out of heaven, and what ends up happening, he sees that we take his place. Because what did Jesus say uh, when, when they're questioning? He says, you know, that, that I have come you know, for the Father, that the Father is seeking the true worshipers who will worship him in truth and in spirit. That's what Jesus came to do, is to seek out the people of God, the children of God who will worship him in truth and in spirit. It's like, so basically I'm God's slave. No, you're a son and you're a daughter. And, and, and what it comes down to is it comes down to that's the relational activity that you get the inheritance and impartation of your heavenly father. It's through that interaction of relationship known as worship. Well, so you're saying singing is the only way to do that. No, I'm saying singing, prayer, reading scripture, meditating upon the word of God, interacting with the saint, everything that God is is ask of us that's called us into that when we do that what we're doing is we're interacting we're partaking of him his nature his character all that he is and that's being imparted to us as the bible says that we're being changed and transformed in the likeness and the image of god's own son jesus christ and there's none closer to god than the son amen the Bible says that no man comes to the Father unless it's through the Son. And so as we worship and we acknowledge that we can only come to Him through the cross, through the grace, by faith that we come into this, that for, for the work that Jesus did, we could not enter in any other way. It's through Him that we come to the Father. And when we keep the, the recognition of the Father and the Son, the Trinity, if you will, and the Spirit of God in us, and, and we're communing with Him, He is imparting His very nature to us. Through that interaction. Kind of hard to believe, isn't it? So hard to believe, you sit there thinking, is, is that really possible for God to make me like Him? How many of you before you were saved believed that you could go to heaven. Raise your hand. I did. I, you know, I never murdered anybody, right? I never treated anybody. You know, I didn't really, you know, I didn't kill anybody. You know, I never really treated people that bad. I was a pretty good guy. My goodness, my righteousness will get me in, right? Come on, all of us thought that at first, right? How many of you uh, discovered that, you know, after you got saved... The, the, the work of Christ, you know, okay, you, you're restored in relationship, but then you start to do good things and you start to kind of measure those and, and hold up that as merit. Come on now. It still isn't good enough. It's only the imputed righteousness of Christ. You cannot come 
You can't interact with the Father. Listen, you can't get into that fellowship and interaction with the Father through your own means. That's what that's saying. You can't come, you, you can't do enough, you can't, you know, connect enough, you know, of your own doing. You could read the scriptures your whole life. And if you never acknowledge that Christ died on a cross for your sins, and that is the only way in, then you're a good Pharisee. Come on now. They knew the scriptures better than any. Paul the apostle thought he was doing good when he was persecuting the, the, the Christians, right? And you know what's interesting? That passage we read where Paul's defining for us the armor of God. Paul's getting ready to go to his death. This is a final admonition in Ephesians 6. Paul's going to his death. And he chooses this moment to let you know, let all of us know, the armor we have in Christ Jesus. That we have a real enemy. And that's why we have need of that armor in our life. And he's choosing to do that. And it's interesting that he's choosing to do this in this moment because he's the one that's standing over Stephen with letters from the from the church, from Pharisees, people who knew Paul himself, knowing the word of God. And he puts this man to death. And when Paul's at his moment of death, he's reflecting upon the importance of God's armor to live life the way God intended us to live life. We reflect on this with Satan again. To others, Satan is seen in every plight mankind knows. So to some, he's a fictional character. To others, He's seen in every plight mankind knows. He's behind every sickness, every disease, every abuse, every betrayal, every tragedy. Every single tragedy you see, some see that as being Satan at work. Many have read or heard about Satan, but have very little understanding of him. He's the, the demon that just pops up on your shoulder. Right? He's got a pitchfork and red tights. Come on now. How many of you, how many of you, I mean, I can't help myself because growing up as a kid, Tom and Jerry, it was all the time, you know. Jerry was a really good guy until that moment went poof, you know, poof, you know. Tom was always bad, but he even had some of those moments where the devil and the angel, you know, would pop up on their shoulder. But, you know, I want to say this to you. There is a, a desensitization that takes place when we see the comic book stuff. How many ever, uh, the movie Hellboy? It kind of depicts the devil as being cool, right? And it can kind of begin to alter the way we think about the devil and who he is. I want you to say th this with me. The devil, the devil is my, my arch enemy. He's your enemy. He hates you. Absolutely loathes you. And at times, he'll work to entice you to make you think he's your best friend. You can have whatever you want. All you got to do. He did it with Jesus. All this is mine. I'll give it to you. All you have to do is bow. Come on now. He doesn't pop up and go, I'm the devil and I'm going to get you. He comes clothed in light. He transforms himself, the Bible says, into an angel of light. He'll, he'll make himself, he'll, that you'll perceive him as being a good thing in your life. You need to know that above all things about your enemy. He'll disguise himself so that he can get you. Come on. 
C.S. Lewis said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. In other words, you know, I don't talk about the devil a lot. I want to make sure you understand today you have a real enemy. And he's out there as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy your life. Now having said all of that, the thing is, is when subjected to the weapons that God has given you for your warfare against that enemy, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. So it's important then uh, for us to address, as, as C.S. Lewis says here, the devil's happy with any kind of error. So it's important then to have what? It's important to have truth in our life. Would you say that? It's important to have truth. So that's the first thing that Paul gives ref- reference to is that you have the belt of truth in your life. And so uh, the truth, which serves like a belt, it will hold our life together with a sense of direction and purpose. Truth can free us from sin. Jesus said that you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It'll make you free. <clears throat> John seventeen seventeen says, Sanctify them. Listen to this. Sanctify them by your truth. You ready? Your word is truth. You don't have that up there. Just write that in your notes. John 17, 17. Sanctify, sanctify them by your truth. Your word, Father, is truth. Jesus says that, that the word of God will set you apart. It will make you ready to confront the lie. And what does he do? He says your word is truth. And so the way that we live in truth, the way we affix the belt of truth is by being in the word of God and having that in our life. Truth gives us dignity and confidence. It gives us dignity and confidence. Has anybody ever been caught in a lie? There's a lot of laughter and a few people say taking ownership the laughter indicates nervous area pastor stay away from it, right? Uh, so here's the deal is that probably all of us have been caught in a lie at one one time or another You know we read about the story of George Washington, right when he's chopping down the cherry tree And they ask him, you know, we need to have that kind of attitude It's like when somebody asks you it's like I cannot tell a lie, you know We need to have that kind of attitude because when you expose the lie you open yourself to what? truth to living in truth and that's what jesus is saying here is he is he's basically declaring that when you know the truth the truth will set you free when you know the truth choose to live in the truth it gives us dignity and confidence because if you've ever told a lie and been caught there's some serious embarrassment right depending on who it was you know the embarrassment had a higher level you know I, I can remember as a kid, you know, I lied to my grandpa. Uh, he spanked me for it. Um, I, I remember that moment, and in, in, in a sense, there was some dignity taken away, if you will. But I'll tell you, the first time I lied to my wife, when she caught me, um, you know, come on, don't look at me so righteous. I know better. <laughs> first time, <laughs> I know that when you hear your pastor admit that he lied to his wife, it's a moment, oh my God, I can't believe my pastor lied to his wife. Well, you can't believe I'm human, huh? I'm as human as you are. And so, oh honey, you weren't supposed to come back in here yet on that. No, no, you're fine, you're fine. I'm admitting that I've lied to you before. 
And the first time I lied to her and she caught me, whew, man, I felt so embarrassed. So embarrassed. And there's an element of, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You get caught in it. How many of you have ever been caught in a lie and then you're tempted to just tell another lie to cover that one up? Come on now. <laughs> you get caught and it's like, you know, my mind kicks into high gear at that moment. And I'm thinking, what, what can I say to her right now that will like smooth that over and get me out of it, right? See, I knew the truth and the truth had been kind of like laid out on the table. And it's like, I need to tell another lie to get away from that lie. And here's the problem with that. Now, you all know, if you've got kids, you get it. I mean, you know, um, you know I would say that, that my kids as a whole, you know, they didn't do so well at lying. They were, they were pretty good. And, and I spent my time in my prayer closet. And so when they would say something to me, I'm like, no, you were here, you were doing this, and at this time, the jaw would drop, and it's like, yeah, it's true, every bit of it's true, Daddy, you know? And so, uh, now as they got older, they got a little better, Right? You know, one person called it increasing your lie. When you do those things, what you do is you, you get better and better and better at it. See, telling the truth, living in the truth gives us dignity and it gives us confidence, right? You think about it, the belt of truth is meant to hold, you know, and people say, well, hold your pants up. Yeah, that will give you a lot of dignity. Your pants don't fall down, right? But that's not what you're going to find in Scripture. Watch this. There's no greater shame on the battlefield. That, you understand, that time, there's no greater shame on the battlefield than if a soldier's belt was not affixed right because it has to bear the weight of his sword. Let me say the long sword, the short sword, and everything else he needs in battle. That belt is everything. In the, in the military, in the army, we call it the utility belt. It was my utility. It had my water on it. It had my first aid pat on it. It had... My bullets on it, it had everything on it. You lose that bad boy, and there's some serious shame. Can you understand that? Paul's giving reference to this. You lose truth in your life, and that's where the devil will get you. He'll start to lead you down a road that's going to bring great shame. Can you say amen? <laughs> you getting something out of that? Good. Make sure that bad boy's tight and can hold the weight of what God's called you to so that you don't lose dignity and confidence. The second one, righteousness. Righteousness which guards us like a breastplate. Doing that which is good and right, even when others don't, will guard our hearts. It'll guard our hearts. Listen to this, Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. I use that scripture there because the breastplate provides protection for the vital organs. This reminds us, that our most vulnerable spiritual areas are guarded by the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's not my righteousness, it is His righteousness in my life. But since He has imputed that, since He's given me that righteousness, I want to fix it in my life in such a way that I make sure I'm telling my story, I'm sharing my testimony, right? And I'm sharing about Christ, I'm preaching the gospel because what happens in that is I'm using the greatest uh, uh, part of protecting myself the shield that that guards those vital organs is my faith in Christ it's what he's done in my life and when I declare that it ties to what he did on the cross can you say amen in the midst of that what happens when I keep that out in front of me it doesn't really matter what else comes because what takes place 
is that I find myself in that, in that breastplate of righteousness that nothing's able to penetrate that. Nothing's able to come through that. And I'm able to, to keep my heart intact. Now, let me say this. Uh, do you know the Bible gives reference to the bowels of mercy? Did you ever hear that before? The bowels of mercy. Anybody know what the bowels are? Uh, you know, intestines aren't pretty. They're not the thing you want to think about, that's for sure. And I'll get off that subject as quick as I can. But all I can say to you, if something was to happen to those vital organs, they were to be pierced or something was to take place, do you understand how righteousness affects your mercy towards others? Think about it. See, when you understand the imputed righteousness of Christ and you live in that righteousness... What happens is, is you have mercy for other people's unrighteous acts. You actually are able to express forgiveness. Why? See, you're guarding that heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. You know how much you've been forgiven, so you're able to, what? Forgive. And if you don't protect those things, how about if we think about the lungs? Come on now. That breastplate. Something was to, to be able to get in. Something was to penetrate and hit one of those vital organs. What about the lungs? The lungs are pierced. How long will you live if your lungs can't hold your breath and function properly? Not very long, right? You all know where I'm going with this, right? You've got to think about the pneuma, the breath of God, the Spirit of God. He's breathed His life into you. You know, the Bible says to be filled with the Spirit continually. It's not something we do once. We need to do it continually. But I'll say that if there's a breaking of fellowship with God, it would be because, it would be because you don't recognize the imputed righteousness of Christ. I've never seen people who understand that walk away from God even if they make a mistake. What they do is repent and come back to Him. They correct their course. Does that make sense to you? Everybody has to do it, but not everybody does it. But when you can exercise the practice of repentance, what happens is you keep your lungs in full functioning, you know, capacity. Why? Because you draw near. You don't draw away. You draw near so that he can fill you. And listen to this. When light's coming in, can darkness stay? Unrighteousness can't dwell where God's spirit's at. And so if, if there's an act of unrighteousness, if, if, say, you've done something that you feel, man, there's just no way God could receive me, God couldn't have anything to do with me anymore, that's a lie. See, now you've got to go back, look, man, you need to put your belt back on, pull your pants back up, strap your sword on. You get what I'm saying here. Because you're, you're believing a lie, and because you give up the truth. This is what Paul's trying to say. If you've got the truth, right, and then guess what you get? The breastplate of righteousness, what's going to happen is you won't be able to continue to walk in that. Even when you make a mistake, the thing is, God is bigger, right? We'll get to that in a minute. Someone said, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking so loud. That's that part of where if this is Christ, this is his imputed righteousness. We're to take that breastplate of righteousness, declare those things, live in those things, and our actions need to speak louder than what we're saying. The third thing, the gospel of peace. 
the gospel of peace, which is uh, crucial to our ability to stand. The gospel is crucial to our ability to stand. The gospel is God's power unto salvation and brings peace to our lives. It gives us good footing, uh, if you will, and is vital in battle. Good footing is vital in battle. Can you say amen? Huh? Now I'll take it back to those kind of times. Uh, we understand good footing now. Like, yeah, you still have to have good footing, but I, you got to understand most wars were fought in a hand-to-hand kind of combat, right? And so I need somebody that served in the military, not Jason Cross. <laughs> you might be in the kids' area. Sorry. All right, whoever's first. So, so if they're doing battle in that time, you understand how they did battle in those times. And it's, it's close battle. This isn't like, you know, I'm firing a weapon from over here. I've got a sword. When you think of, of Paul's looking at the Roman at that time, they had about a two-foot-long two sword that was double-edged. And that's what they did their battle with. If you've ever seen Gladiator, that's about what that bad boy looked like, right? Wasn't real long, but it was double-edged. Now, there were other swords for sure, but Paul is defining and describing the Roman centurion, the one that was basically taken to his death. And so when if they got to be this close to do battle, you better have some good footing. If you don't have good footing, and if I was to, let's say I've got bad footing right now, and you, you can see you're come, I'm coming at you, you're going to come. No, don't hurt me. But I'm coming at you, right? What? And you see that I don't have good footing. So let's say that I'm standing like this and I'm going to swing at you. Show me what you would do. Like, no, you're not going to duck back. I'm coming in because if, look, see how I'm standing? This wouldn't be a good stance for battle. And another trained soldier is going to recognize that. So I swing back and before I can get around, what are you going to do? He's, gonna, he's got his own sword too. You don't want to have bad footing. You want good, stable footing. So so you're coming in on each other, and so you're, you're negotiating that. Your enemy, let me just say this. He knows what he's doing. He's been around for a long time, and he's done it a whole lot. He was able to put our Savior on a cross. Come on now. That was the Son of God, and he was able to hang him on a cross. Now, had he known what he was doing, come on now, the Bible says he would never have done it, but he did get it done, didn't he? He did perform that act of evil, not understanding that he was being used as a pawn from God. God's like, that's fine, I'm going to let you do this, but you watch what I do as a result of that. The ultimate, uh, we could call it the ultimate stratia, God's strategy, right? It's like, yeah, you think this is what you're going to do, but before the foundations of the earth, my son gave his life. Before any of your plans were hatched, my son gave his life. I outthought you so far, you're completely unaware that I've worked all of this out already. I already know what's going to happen. He is, right, the, the beginning and he's the end, the alpha and the omega. God knew the end from the beginning. Because he knows the end from the beginning, he works everything out to our favor. He has sure footing. When he goes to battle, he makes sure he has sure footing. Amen? Thank you. We need to make sure we follow the example of the God we serve. And know that he's worked everything out 
He's already thought it out for our lives. The question is, are you sitting at the table of prayer with God so he can give you the information you need to live your life the way he's called you to live it? The gospel of peace, is, it, it's, it's your feet are shod, right? Why is that? So that everywhere you go is where God wants you to go. And it's in accordance with his will because you are a child or, if you will, a son or daughter of the king. And you have an assignment on this earth. You're in it. You're not of it. When, when you uh, were taken out of darkness and translated, the Bible says, translated, uh, taken from darkness and into his marvelous light, you're in this world, but you're no longer of it. You belong to the kingdom of God. You're his son or daughter. And you're meant to do war against those things that defy the living God. Amen? The gospel is the greatest weapon given to do that war. Romans 1, 16 uh, through 17 says it this way, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in the righteousness, here we go, for uh, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now if you look back there, you got truth, the truth sets you free. You got righteousness. And, and where do you encounter that righteousness? You encounter that righteousness that's imputed to you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you begin to live your life by faith. That is what justifies you. As long as we remember the gospel as a completed work, we have confidence that it will work. This causes us to step out and to share uh, knowing that the kingdom will advance and gain ground it will gain sure footing after sure footing after sure footing and light will push back darkness i remember a young lady uh years ago who had been uh she was abused and i remember um i was trying to remember her name i couldn't remember her name for the life of me but i remember her coming she started coming to our youth and and we would meet I, I would talk with her a bit she she really had you know didn't trust men very much because of what she had been through and we would sit and talk to her. Black hair. Do you remember her? Young Hispanic girl. I can't remember her name. But anyway, you remember her now? Uh, yeah, don't remember her name either. That's horrible, isn't it? I remember her coming in, and she would talk. And there, was, there were some things that were going on there where they, they were very demonic. We could tell there's like some serious demonic activity going on. And as that was going on, uh, it was kind of like, you know, some of the questions I would ask her, like, hey, have you ever this or that? You ever play Ouija board? You, oh, yeah, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And one time this happened, and so there was that opening herself up to demonic spirits. And talking to psychics and stuff like that, opening herself up to demonic activity. And you could tell, I mean, you get to praying around her, and she'd get all squeamish, and she wasn't comfortable being there, and it really made her uneasy when you were worshiping or you're seeking after God, but she kept coming back. She was wounded. She had been hurt. And in the midst of that, I remember as it was moving forward, there was a moment where God showed up one time and I said, can I pray for you? And I remember casting a demon out of that girl. I mean, vivid, this is as real as it gets. 
demonic manifestation, and that demon came out of her. And we watched her as, as that deliverance took place, all of a sudden she began to come into great freedom in her life. Today she, is, uh, she started going to college right shortly after that. She graduated high school. She began to go to college. She's a psychologist now. Uh, I remember seeing her one time at Olive Garden. She was a waitress while she was going to college. And we're sitting there, and she came up, Pastor Derek, and she freaks out. And I'm like, hey, hey, how you doing, you know? And she's like, you wouldn't believe this. I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And she's talking about her life. And in that sense, that's the thing, is that where she didn't have peace, it was the gospel that brought her peace. Now it's, oh, Pastor Derek, Pastor Derek, Pastor Derek. And you know what? You know, it, it's a joy to be a part of people's lives that way. The reality was, I didn't set her free. The gospel of peace set her free. Let me say this, every single one of you who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, do you know that the gospel of peace, it's what sets you free, it's what delivered you, it's what gave you a new life. And now you have that and you can share it with others. Can you say amen? Number four, faith. Faith, which is like a shield. So it's awesome that you got a breastplate and it's protecting all those vital organs, but uh, how many of you know the breastplate only covers your front? And you kind of need something else to, you know, and you got to, you know, you got all these spots that are open. And no matter what, what arm you have, you got to be able to see out of it and so on. And so they had uh, the shield of faith. Uh, a strong confidence in God can protect us from every fiery dart that Satan can throw at us. A strong confidence in God. See, that's faith. And remember, we talked about confidence in the beginning and we one of the words was faith, the synonyms, if you will, uh, trust, a strong confidence, if you will, in God can protect us from every fiery dart that Satan can throw at us. Romans ten seventeen, how are we going to get that confidence? So then faith comes by hearing, say hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You want a strong confidence, you want a strong faith in God, what he's capable of doing, you want a strong shield of faith, there's only one way to get it, to know what the word of God says, to take uh, to every situation, it's like, but God's word says this, to exalt that above every thought that exalts itself against his knowledge. And what happens is, is you take those thoughts captive. All of a sudden, you're the one in charge, not the situation, because you know what God's word declares about it. Uh, so, so now I want to explain this. The fiery dart, you need to know something about it. The fiery dart was one of the most dangerous weapons of ancient warfare. It was tipped with twine. So basically, twine was wrapped around the end. And, and then it was dipped in pitch. You know what pitch is? It's tar. It's basically, you know, sticky oil. And so it, it's got that string wrapped around it, so it's going to burn, and it's dipped in that pitch and soaked in that, that pitch so that that flame's going to work really well. Well, here's what the shield was made of. It was two pieces of wood glued together. They were glued together, and so here's what happened. So you've got the one piece back here and the other one up here, and when they're glued together, what happens is if you've ever watched... You know, war movies from that time, again, like, uh, 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 what is, uh, um, Gladiator and stuff like that. You'll see the, you'll see the, it goes into the shield, and actually the way it was, like, they would actually soak that in water. They, the shields, like, they were heavy, but being wood, what would happen, the arrow would go into it. When the arrow went into the shield, what it did is it actually quenched the dart. The, 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 the twine that's wrapped around, the toe, they called it, um, what would happen when it went into the shield, it strips it back, and it basically then is able to drop to the ground. So there, it quenched 
those fiery darts. Now, obviously, uh, did it work perfect all the time? I, I would doubt that it did, but that was the engineering behind it is, is that how do we deal with the fiery darts? Because that's one of the worst things that you could encounter uh, in that time, and so when it would go into that shield, that was the best way that they came up to deal with that. Listen to this, Satan's arrows of deception, temptation, opposition, accusation can be penetrating. All those things can be very penetrating in your life, but you can be sure that your faith in Christ will quench every fiery dart that the enemy fires at you. You can be sure that if you have a strong faith in Christ, a strong trust in Him, which only comes by being in His Word, if you know that you know, I know if God's Word says this, I can trust Him. No matter what the enemy fires at you, it will quench it. It may, it, it, it's still fire. It may still cause you like, whoa, that's a fiery arrow. What is that? Man, that, that'll burn me up. But if you know that you've got that shield, it's like, no, but God's word says this. That's the shield going up, taking the arrow, arrow to, to quench that fiery dart of the enemy. <clears throat> the strength of your faith. The strength of your faith shield. Say it that way. The strength of your faith shield is into proportion of how you care for it. Your faith shield will be in direct proportion to how you care for it. You see uh, a soldier of that time, you know, not taking care of his shield, letting it dry out, and nice, just real dry kindling. Can you imagine? You get what I'm saying? Don't let your faith become dry. Keep it wet by the water of God's word make sure that it's something that can quench those fiery darts not burst into flames come on somebody right take care of the equipment God's given you and faith man it is one of the greatest weapons that you have salvation which is like a helmet salvation which is like a helmet salvation protects us from condemnation salvation protects us from condemnation say it this way with me salvation protects me from my own thoughts <laughs> it keeps you safe from the thoughts that you may have that are not God's thoughts Romans 8 1 says this there is therefore now no say no there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus but pastor, you don't understand, I, I messed up, I, I did this, I disrespected my parents, you know, I, I disrespected, you know, my boss, or, you know, uh, I disrespected my employees, or whichever way it goes, whatever mistake you've made, you just don't understand because I, I messed up. Yeah, right, but if you're in Christ, there's still no condemnation. Because that's the old you trying to take charge, and all you got to do is submit it, submit yourself to his ways see your spirit man and your flesh man your your carnal man and your spirit man your suke and your numa say suke numa your flesh and your spirit the bible says are going to war and paul the apostle made that very clear that these two are going to fight they're they're they're, they're kind of like you know if you will uh isaac and and uh um ishmael in the Bible, Abraham had two sons. Ishmael was the first one born, and he's born of the flesh. Isaac comes along, he's born a promise. He's born, it's the promise of God, the Spirit of God's promise, while 
Isaac or excuse me, Ishmael was Abraham and Sarah and, and uh, Hagar's own doing. And the flesh and the spirit war. And those two, man, they're still fighting. That's what we're all dealing with. You know, look at what Islam is. It's, it's Ishmael. Ishmael hates Isaac, and he hates what comes from Isaac. Abraham is the father of all of our faith. And they claim Abraham because Abraham is also their father, but they were born of flesh. They were born of Abraham's own plan. Now, you want to really trick this one up. Here's the deal. God, when, 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 when basically when uh, Abraham sends Hagar off with Ishmael, God, actually, when Hagar... Is, is sitting there and she's weeping and she knows she's going to die and Ishmael's going to die. God takes care of her. and says, and I'll bless him and I'll raise up 10, 12 kings from him. So what was God thinking? Man, just wipe him and let him die right there. I don't know about you, but I read that story. God, what? what? Why didn't you just let him die? He goes, why didn't I just let you die? do the job moment <laughs> i was just messing around you know what i'm saying because god loves mankind and 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 he was a son of abraham and poor Ag- hagar and and ishmael i mean <laughs> sarah and abraham came up with the plan she was just a servant girl she didn't have a choice this is like hey you're my servant girl go be with my husband have a baby for us deathly silent in here right now for a good reason it's like wait a minute pastor you saying you're i'm just saying to you it's more complicated if you read the bible you begin to understand that basically it's two boys that have different mothers and they're fighting each other and they're still fighting each other and the whole world is putting up with that sibling rivalry come on the greatest problem though is isaac is the chosen of god now watch Jesus is the chosen of God. There is no other way but through Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? That religion will acknowledge that Jesus was a great prophet, but Jesus never had anything to say about it. You get what I'm saying here? He never validated anything about it, and obviously never will. And the challenge we have is man-made religion that wants to fly in the face of God and create nothing but troubles for mankind. Hmm. So how's that important with the helmet of salvation? Because I'll tell you what, man, I see so many people troubled by what's going on. There is, there is such a spirit of judgment right now in our world. And the last I checked, there is only one that's righteous and worthy to open the Lamb's book of life. Come on now. Listen to this, and maybe it'll help you understand a little bit more. Someone asked Martin Luther, do you feel you have been forgiven? No. But I'm sure there's a God in heaven. For feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned uh, for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unfailing word till soul and body sever, though all things shall pass away. His word shall stand forever. 
I brought that up because the persecution that's going on around the world right now. When I think about, you know, where we live, we have got to be a people that live above condemnation because it gives us a confidence to witness about Christ. You're not going to share about your salvation if you have a condemnation that you're living under that, well, it's not working for me. Let me go share it with somebody else. Come on. I know I'm being facetious here. <laughs> salvation, you know, I don't have confidence in my own salvation, but I'm going to share it with somebody. No, you won't. That's why it's important to make sure that you have the helmet of salvation, that you know there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't care what mistakes you make. There's no condemnation. If anything, you want to throw that out there and just say, I'm not perfect, but I'll tell you what, I've given my life over to a Savior who is. And He's working out His salvation in my life as I work it out with fear and trembling unto my God. A reverent respect for who He is as I walk this out, giving honor and glory to His Son because it's impossible for me to do it myself. Why is that important? Because you've got sisters and brothers around the world whose soul is being severed from body. You get what I'm saying? Because it's kind of like the final moment. If I deny him now and I die, <laughs> right? But we need to embrace Christ on that level. God forbid that that come to America, but when you're, you know, importing people with that mindset into our country, let me tell you something, saints. When that happened, I think it was in Oklahoma where the woman was beheaded for her faith. Anybody ever expect that to happen in America? Nope. Now, I'm not talking about political things here. I'm talking about these are spiritual matters here. You got things increasing in this world. The spirit of Antichrist is on the march, and it's not gonna, he's not going to pull back. It, matter of fact, if you read your Bible all the way to the end, he's going to actually emerge more and more and more. It will get darker and darker and darker out there. But we have to become brighter and brighter and brighter as the church. Amen. <clears throat> Number six. Uh, let me give you this scripture, though. I think it should be. Is it up there? Is uh, uh, 1 John 3.20 up there? Yes, I want to give you this scripture. Uh, 1 John 3.20. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have, here's that word, confidence towards God. Number six, the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. This is the only, it's the only offensive weapon that we must use in our battles. And it is a powerful one. Um, Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God, that when we speak the Word of God, and what I'm saying, look, when we're talking about warfare here, we're not killing people. You know, you don't believe we're going to kill you. No, no, we're using the sword of the Spirit. And what it does is it actually will kill the carnal man and bring the spirit man back to life. You get what I'm saying there? That when you use the Word of God, what can happen is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And when you use the sword of the Spirit in that offensive way, I don't mean offensive as in offending, but offensive as in the sense of, of, of winning and overcoming, right? When you use it in that offensive way, what happens when the Word of God is spoken with faith and authority, what happens in a person's life is it pierces. 
it pierces their heart, just like it did in the book of Acts when Peter stood up. Hey, these men are not drunk as you, as you have supposed, but this is that spoken by the prophet Joel. In the latter days, I'll pour my spirit out upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will uh, have visions and your old men will dream dreams. And he declares that moment that this is what God said would happen in the last day. And as he continued to preach, and, and furthermore, this Jesus whom you crucified who you lifted up and you took his life. He is the one that God sent. He goes on to preach, I'm paraphrasing right now, but he goes on to preach that message. And they, they cry out because they were pierced, the Bible says, in their hearts. That's what it's declaring, that when the word of God is preached, it comes forth and it pierces the heart. And it, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart of man. I'll have people come up to me sometimes after I preach a sermon. It's like, man, pastor, it's like you're standing in my bedroom with my wife and I. We talked about that last week. All right, Pastor, I was talking to my kids about this. It was like you were right there. No, I wasn't, but the Spirit of God was right there. As you're living your lives, He cares about your lives, and what He will do is He will observe what's going on. And I will preach a message, and the Spirit of God will speak something out of me. I don't even know what's going on. You come and tell me that, I'm like, yeah, I was right there in your bedroom. That ought to freak you out. I couldn't be in everybody's bedroom. You know what I'm saying? It, because that's where the pillow, that's where you get real and you start talking about stuff. Come on now. <laughs> I don't want to be in everybody's bedroom. <laughs> Paul gives us a picture of a two-edged sword. It gives us the ability to do batter, battle, excuse me, to do battle no matter where it comes from. No matter where it comes from, be it on your left or on your right. Listen to this. Why is that important? See, a double-edged sword, it swung that way and swung that way. You're able to do batter, battle, gosh, batter, battle no matter where it comes from. Psalms 91 and 7 says, A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Number seven and finishing up. Prayer, the means by which we remain watchful. Prayer is the means by which we remain watchful. We need to be on our guard. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus taught that we must watch and pray. Matthew 26, 36 through 41 gives us this account. It says, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrow even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not have watched? Uh, could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 41 Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing. Listen to this, but the flesh is weak. There's that spirit flesh thing again. Now, now I want you to, to take from this for a moment that Jesus is saying, Watch and pray. You, it's it's kind of like the watchman on the wall, if you will, that they would set on the wall and they would watch. They would watch for the, the messengers to come. Think about it. 
you got to see it in a, in a sense of warfare where what happens when Paul's saying for all of us to pray, Jesus doesn't even go it alone. Come on now. This is the Son of God, and he doesn't even want to go this moment alone, right? He didn't go any moment alone. If you get right down to it, he would go off alone, but he, was, he brought people with him, right? And Jesus, in this very moment, he doesn't go it alone. He brings the 12, and then he takes the three. See, there was an inner circle of three that was closest to him, and he had the 12 disciples and the 70 and the 120 and the multitudes and on and on. But those three, he would always take them a little bit further with him. He would, he would take them in, and he says, look, watch and pray with me. Now, what I'm saying is, is if our Lord and Savior saw the need to have others praying with him, we need to see the need of others praying with us in our life, with our greatest challenges. Because he didn't know sin, right? But was about to become sin. He was in his greatest challenge, but didn't know sin and saw the need of prayer. And not just prayer, but prayer with others. Now, they're falling asleep. Jesus is coming back. And he gives, and then his final admonition is this. Look, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Right? The hour had come. See, here's Jesus. He's on watch and he's praying because the enemy is on his way. He's watching and he's praying that he doesn't enter into temptation. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. See, he's tempted to say, I'm done with this, man. You know. I've walked this out up to this final moment. You know, all of your glory is manifested. People are being healed. They're being freed from demons. All these things are going on. I'm in this final hour, and i got to go to the cross and die for the sins of mankind. The enemy's coming, and he's going to take me to the cross, and I don't want to go. He was distressed and sweating blood as he prayed. Pretty stressed out, Amen. My most stressful moment has never been that stressed out. But I've been pretty stressed out, and all I know is in those moments, when you're stressed out, when things are the hardest, you need to be watching and praying, and you don't need to be doing that alone so that you don't enter into temptation. Why? Watching and praying is all about what's the enemy going to try and do here to mess up the will of God in my life? That's <laughs> what Jesus was doing. Not my will. But thine be done. He's submitting himself to God's will. And in those hard moments, in the hardest moments, it's so, so important to watch and to pray because the enemy's on his way. Give you this final picture as I close. See, the watchman would be set on the wall. And they would watch. Prayer was referred to as watching. And there was a military term where they set the watchman on the wall. And see, they had scouts out there. Great intercessors, if you will. You want to have good intercessors, like see something before it comes. Had a few of those moments in my life, for sure. And I'll tell you one moment. I had a conflict. It was a legal conflict for this church, and most of you don't know this to this day. Some of you do. I had a legal conflict for the church. And there was, there was uh, two individuals in that legal conflict that, that were there was opposing and I knew that okay I have to carry myself this way and I'm going to do the right thing even though they're doing the wrong thing and it's like but the appearance is is that I'm the one in the wrong here Lord and you know you want to justify yourself and come on now Jesus is going to the cross and it looks like he's the one in the wrong isn't that right he's before Pilate he's being tried he's a blasphemer blasphemer correct isn't that what they called him 
Uh, Pilate called him, or excuse me, Herod, uh, not Herod, uh, Caiaphas called him a, a blasphemer. Now, so here he is, and everything appears to be this way. He's gone to the cross. And the Bible says he went without a word. Isn't that correct? The only thing he spoke was, uh, you know, when, when it comes down to it, Pilate says, are you a king? He goes, you say that I am. <laughs> you know, it's like, what, what? how did you just turn that on me? You know what I mean? Because he's watching and he's praying. He's got his heart prepared and he can keep silent in that moment because here's what he knows. Heaven holds the greatest record. Man can think what man wants to think. In that, in that moment, I'll never forget. Like, God, but, I, you know, this is really hard. And I remember on a Christmas Eve. Can you remember that? Christmas Eve. We have our candlelight service. It's a wonderful service. And, and, and most of the folks don't know that I've got this, if you will, private stress on caring for Gateway and the situation I'm dealing with these people. And uh, they were malicious. And as that's taking place, and I, I'm carrying that stress in the midst of everything, and I remember I walk out of that meeting, and you know I'm going to go home, have Christmas with my family, and January 1 is a big deal on this situation, and the 24th is looking pretty close. Come on, somebody. You ever been in those stressful moments? And I remember walking through the threshold of the office, my office door. I walked through the threshold, and God says, you need to look this up, and you need to research this. Now, I'm still not telling you some details because it is a... You know, it's a matter anyway. And I don't want to, you know, make too much of it. I remember when I walked through there, God said that. I began to research that, and I'm like, whoa, this is what I've got to do. Next day, I get a phone call from a lady who's an intercessor. She's the scout. You know, intercessors are amazing, you know. They can be weird sometimes. If you're an intercessor, God bless you. I love you very dearly. But, but they can. They can be very odd because they see things. They don't understand what they see. Many times they'll come and say, hey, I saw this, and you need to do this, this, and this. Uh, well, I'll pray about what I need to do and work with the elders on that one. I appreciate that you're a scout and you gave me my information that I need, but I've got all this other information that you don't know about, and so I'll make the decision with the eldership out of wisdom, not out of the moment of information. Does that make sense? I don't know any general, am I right about this, military folks, that would go, you know, one scout gives him, oh, let's just do all of that, forget everything else we know, right? That moment comes, though, and here's what happened. She was one of those that was pretty, pretty normal. I know that sounds mean. It's not meant to be mean. Look, intercessors, they're, they're off in prayer all the time, and so they're heavenly-minded. They're thinking about, you know, and they come back, and it's like there's still some natural things that you have to work to apply those to. And so... She says, you know, Pastor, this is going to kind of be weird. And I'm like, oh, great. I don't need anything weird right now. I'm dealing with enough stuff, you know. I'm like, okay, you know, well, go ahead. Just tell me what, you know. And she said, well, I had this vision, and there was this person and this person. And, and it was like they, they were going against you. It was like an old Western scene, and, like, they called you out. I'm like, really? I'm interested now. Because I'm like, that's exactly what I feel like. They called you out into the street. And, uh. And so you stepped out, and they're there, and you're there, and she's describing it, and I'm going, holy moly, this is like pretty close, you know, I mean, as an illustrative uh, way. And uh, then she said, and then it kind of flashed from that, it wasn't there anymore, and it flashed to this room, there's a desk, there's a brown leather bag on the floor, and there's like one of those lever guns, you know, and I don't know what you call them, I'm like a lever action rifle, she went, I guess, and, I went, and she goes, and then a taller one. But it had a big, like a big fat barrel on it. And I went, a shotgun. She went, I guess. You know, you know I'm like, man, you, don't, you definitely ain't a gun owner. You know, you sure gateways your church, you know. Um, 
but <laughs> some of you got that. <laughs> There'll be some gun owners in this place. That's all I know. Uh, somebody comes in that back door, God help them. So. Uh, but, but in that, she says this, and I'm going, oh. And then she said, and them words floated up out of the bag. These words floated up out of the bag. And it said, by your words, you're justified or condemned. I went, really? She said, yeah. I said, okay, well, thanks. And she goes, does that mean anything? I said, well, I'm going to show you something. I can't talk to you about the matter because it, it's a situation that's being dealt with with authorities. And, and, so, um, and so I said, but walk in my office. So we walk in my office, and I said, look over in the corner. And she went, <gasps> I went, I know. And she goes, I'm really interested to know what it means. I said, I can't share it with you. I said, but you just need to know that God used you in this moment to really confirm for me what I need to do. In that bag was a, it was basically legal policies. And I began to read through those things over and over and over. And all of a sudden, it became clear to me, here are the three things that you need to give to them and say, well, here's where it's going, and here's what these are, and you know full well that's what they are. And can I say, in that moment, done. That situation changed the course of the whole thing. Flipped it around, and then years later, it became very clear with that regard, uh, in regard to that, that God's hand had been upon that and worked through that situation. Now, I know that there was a lot of, you know, there's very little information you really know, but it has to remain that way for confidentiality. And I think you all understand in the legal world sometimes that's the case. But I'm saying that you need to have intercessors in your life. You need to have people who are praying for you and they're like, scout, they're out there looking out and they're praying, they're lifting you up to God. And they're looking out for you and God's call on your life and what he's doing in your life. And it's not just right here, it's, it's out there. And when somebody calls you up and says, hey, man, I just wanted to bring this to your attention. Or, hey, young lady, I wanted to bring this to your attention. You know, I thought, you know, God just spoke to my heart for you. And I don't know what this means, but I feel like I need to be obedient and share it with you. But so many times for people, it, it gives them what they need to know to make decisions in their life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Jesus said, watch and pray. Um, do you know that, that back in that day that the watchman on the wall could tell by the runner they could tell by the run they could tell the way they ran whether they were friendly or enemy they knew the run of the person Angie used to say to me she would see me when I was in the military you know you got all the per people in BDUs you're, you're all dressed the same and she could pick me out of a crowd way off uh, because of my walk my stride she said I dipped my left shoulder just a little bit That's, that's what God wants you to be able to do. He wants you to recognize friendly or enemy by the stride. Those spiritual matters are more important in your life than the job you'll go to tomorrow. Those spiritual matters are more important in your life than the home you're living in. They're more important in your life than your bank account. You know, I'm, I'm trying to compare it to the things that we would attach great value to, see? They're more important in your life. Prayer, a connection with God, being fit right for battle is more important in your life, spiritually speaking, than anything else you're doing in your life. You do those things, it doesn't mean that life will go easy. 
It just means that you'll take life on without fear. You'll have faith in what God is able to do in your life, no matter what challenge you face. You'll rise above it. You'll overcome it. And that's exactly what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us, to he overcomes. Jesus says this, to he who overcomes will I give to set with me. And I don't know about you, but I want to set with Jesus when I get to heaven. If, if I could, I mean, I know that there's, there's seats of honor, um, and there'll be people, you know, in that sense, the way it's structured in heaven. But I'm quite certain that if you want to pull up and just have a chat with Jesus, eternity's a long time. You'll get your opportunity, amen? But I would say that it's very important that you seize every opportunity while you're here to sit with Jesus because he wants to sit with you. He wants to get to know you. He wants you to get to know him so that you understand his thoughts and intents and his plans for your life because they are for an abundance. The enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but he came that you might have life and life more abundant. So what I would say is get close to him. Learn how to equip yourself, how to arm yourself to deal with those situations in life that come your way. And having done all to stand, you stand there for. And you deal with whatever areas of your life God doesn't have right now. You overcome in those areas. Let him have all of you so that you can experience all of him. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And I ask God that, that uh, even as we've heard this today, I know that it's not like we're going to go home and we're going to just picture ourselves, okay, I'm putting on, you know, my uh, shield of faith and I'm putting on the, the breastplate of righteousness and I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. It's not just something we visualize that way. God, there's much more to it. And I pray, God, that as we're diligent to study your word and to, to invite you to show us and to help us understand God, we'd begin to experience the work that each one of those items you give us for our warfare, God, that they would begin to work on our behalf. Father, I'm praying for uh, families and marriages and relationships, God, uh, jobs. Uh, Father, there's people in here that are miserable with what they do. I pray, Lord, that you would give them, Father, just insight. Father, how they can overcome that in their life. And, Father, that you would open new doors for them. God, people that are battling sickness and disease in their bodies. God, I pray in Jesus' name that where it comes to that shield of faith, the fiery darts of the enemy that come and want to say that you'll never be better, the fiery darts that say you can never be whole, God, that they are lies and that they can be quenched with the faith that they have in Christ. And, God, I speak to every person in here that might be dealing with sickness in their body. I speak life into them in Jesus' name. I speak health and healing in their body in Jesus' name. I speak restoration, God, into the relationships in this room in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Look, I know that that was very serious today.